0: Keyboard Kimura AV Network is presented by OneBone. Fall is here and OneBone has you covered when it comes to looking fresh as the temperatures start to cool. From numerous short sleeve styles and cuts to long sleeve selections, hoodie options, the essential bomber and the trench hoodie, OneBone has styles, colors and sizes to meet all your needs this fall. As a supporter of the Keyboard Kimura AV Network, use promo code ESK10 at checkout. That's my initials, ESK and the number 10 for 10% off your order. Based in Montreal, everything is Canadian-made, but ships all over the world. So check out the website, onebone.com, or download the app and join the One Bone family today. One Bone, big and all. It's East Spencer Kite, Friendly Neighborhood Spencer Man, on Wednesday, August 31st, so you know what that means. One question for every fight. We're back at it after a week layoff, and I don't know if it's just me, I don't know if you feel the same way, but every time I sit down to do this, I get a little more excited. And after a week without fights, the more I look at this fight card coming up on Saturday, UFC Paris, the debut in Paris, the more excited I get. Maybe it's because, in part because it's an early start time, 9 a.m. tip-off out here on the west coast of Canada. Maybe it's because the more I look into this card and the more I sort of prepare and, and go through all the details, the more I like about some of these fighters that I have less experience with. But whatever it is, I'm pumped to be back. I'm excited to be here. We're rocking the one-bomb bomber. Shouts to the guys. And we're just going to get into it. This is a, an interesting fight card to me. And I hope that as we go through this exercise, as we go through this series, you get a little bit more excited about it, too. We will start in the main event, as we do every time we do this. Cyril Gan taking on Tai Tuivasa in a critical heavyweight matchup. And my question here is, how does Tuivasa approach this? We taped the Severe MMA preview show yesterday, on Tuesday, uh, as Ian is off on some vacations. Io have fun. And And one of the things we talked about with this fight, in addition to sort of the obvious things of how does Serial Gan respond to his first loss was how does Tuivasa approach this? Cause the way I look at it, he's playing with house money. He's a guy that isn't necessarily supposed to be here. He's not someone that was at, supposed to be a contender in the heavyweight division. He's the fun, loving, charismatic, kind of tops out in the seven, eight range of the heavyweight division guy. At least that's what he Sort of profiled as, right? rose through the ranks really quickly. Three straight wins, followed by three straight losses where a lot of people wrote him off and said, up. Ah, we saw the best of, of Tai Tuivasa. It topped out where it did. He took a year off, came back, and he's undefeated since. Five straight victories. We've seen the commitment to his craft by going over to Dubai to do his training camps. And I think this is a fight where if he just accepts or he just looks at it as no matter what happens here, I'm in, I'm in a good position. If I lose, I lost to a guy that's the former interim champion that fought for the, you know, in a title unification fight at the start of this year. So why don't I just go out here and try to get this thing done quickly, early, crazily, and go out there and and be sort of the brawler that he was at the start of his career, be the guy that, you know, was getting in fights back in West Sydney. Because this isn't a fight, as we talked about on the, on the preview show that you'll see on on Thursday. This isn't a fight where he can be the more technical guy, unless his his technical skills have grown by leaps and bounds over the last couple of months, which I don't think they have. This is a fight where, to me, he needs to go out and just be himself, just be an aggressive striker who's willing to take one, to land one, trusting that both his chin is better and his power is more, because as good as Serial Gun is, and and he is absolutely terrific. I think he is the prototype for the future of the heavyweight division. He's not a guy that's getting you out of there with one shot. He's not somebody that's one hitter quitter. He's more the accumulation, beat you with with poise and polish and technique, and over time. Maybe he wears you down quicker quicker in some fights than in others. Maybe he takes more risks in some fights than in others. But I don't think this is a fight where he's going to be looking to take big risks, especially in the pocket. And so Tai Tuivasa has a chance and has an opportunity, if he wants to take it, to just come out here and pressure Cyril Gunn. And just get in his face and say, look, I'm going to make this one where we're in a phone booth and you're going to have to deal with me. And if I go out, I go out. So be it. Because if he goes out there on Saturday and walks into Paris and puts out the hometown guy that was just the interim champion at the start of the year. Then he's in the title picture. And I don't think two years ago when he started this return, if you told anybody in two years time, Tai Tuivasa will be on a six fight winning streak, having just beaten Cyril Gan in his in his backyard in his own adopted hometown of Paris, and will be in line to challenge for the title or at least face one of the sort of three men at the top of the division right now that we're all waiting to see what happens with, Francis Ngannou, John Jones, and Stipe Miocic, nobody would have believed you. And yet here we are on the precipice of that. And so if if Tai Tuivasa decides to go out and fight like early Tai Tuivasa, like a little bit reckless Tai Tuivasa, a little bit devil may care Tai Tuivasa, this could get real interesting on Saturday. Co-main event, Robert Whitaker, Marvin Vittori in the middleweight division, sort of the bronze medalist versus the silver medalist in the 185 pound weight class. My question is, is Whitaker content to play the Joseph Benavidez role? If you remember back to, after Joseph Benavidez lost to Demetrius Johnson for the second time, he was still widely considered, rightfully so, the second best flyweight in the division, and just kind of went on one of those runs where it was, let me face whoever is available. Just whoever is whoever's there, let me face them. Doesn't have to be the number one contender. Doesn't have to be somebody with a big name. Let me face Dustin Ortiz. Let me face Tim Elliott again. Let me face whoever it is. And he worked his way up and he worked his way up. And he didn't quite get back to a third fight with D.J., But he put himself in a position where when DJ left, when DJ was gone, and when Henry Cejudo was gone, he was still standing near the top of the division to have those two fights with Davison Figueredo for the title. It didn't go his way, but that's that's the result. That's not the part we're focused on. And so what I'm interested with Whitaker, interested in learning about with Whitaker, is if he's comfortable doing the same thing. He's 0-2 against Israel Adesanya. I think he is clearly the second best fighter in this division. I think the gap between he and Izzy isn't as great as it seemed in their first fight. I think it's much closer. I think that that second fight showed us that, that Rob was able to make some adjustments and narrow that gap, but it's tough to play this role. It's tough to be stuck in this position. And so I think it's pretty easy to get up for a fight against Marvin Vittori who's going to be in there and big angry Marv on Saturday, same as always. But after this, it you know, unless you go out there and, and spark Marvin Vittori on Saturday, a title shot isn't coming. And so then you're faced with kind of just fighting to maintain your spot, fighting, fighting to bide time until either Izzy loses the belt or goes to do something else or decides to move up to to light heavyweight. Maybe Rob does the same. This is one of those ones where we're going to find out sort of a little bit more about his long-term ideas, his long-term thoughts. I don't think light heavyweight is a truly realistic option for Robert Whitaker. He's not a big guy, right? He started his career at welterweight. I think he's perfectly situated at middleweight. But it's going to be hard for him. And, and I understand that it's going to be hard mentally, physically to get up for these fights against guys that are far behind you in the rankings. The, the other problem for with this is that he's already beaten a bunch of the guys that would fit into that. Just give me the next person up, right? He's already beat Calvin Gastelum, already beat Darren Till and Jared Cannonier, And so if he goes out and beats Marvin Vittori on Saturday, that's now four of the guys that are immediately behind you in the division, leaving not a lot of options, right? Sean Strickland, who unfortunately is, is going under the knife, is going to be out of his fight with Jared Cannonier in October. Get well soon, Sean. Um, it's going to be Jack Hermanson. It's going to be Alex Paheya if he doesn't defeat Israel and, and win the title. And so that's sort of a tough spot to be in as a former champion, as a former interim champion as a guy that wants to continue fighting and prove he belongs and, and earn that opportunity, that is a ways off. Like, I don't think there's many people outside of Whitaker's camp and his his loyal fan base that is clamoring for a third fight just quite yet. So it's going to be interesting to see if he's, he's content to settle in, be the Joe B of the middleweight division and just pile up these wins against guys that he's, he's ahead of people that are behind him in the rankings and just go out there and win three, four, five, six consecutive fights to hold his place and maybe earn himself another shot somewhere down the line. Another middleweight fight, Alessio DiCirico against Roman Kapilov. My question here is, can we be done with warm bodies? I no disrespect to either of these men. As you know, I, I have the utmost respect for anybody that steps in the cage. I understand the difficulty it takes to get to this level and the difficulty it takes to win and succeed and have have success at this level. Neither of these men have really done that. DeChirico is four and six in the UFC. He's one and four in his last five. Kapilov is zero and two. We've seen that these guys can't really hang at this level. That they're at the most sort of not even mid-pack, kind of lower third of the division kind of fighters. And yet here we are, where one of them is going to pick up a victory and earn the opportunity to compete again going forward, where we're just going to have sort of the same question. Because I don't think this is a, we've just gotten off to a slow start and we're just in a rough patch kind of situation for either of these guys. This is more of a, they can't beat the middle of the pack and above. And so unless there's something about either of them that we haven't seen yet, where they are these wildly entertaining, consistently deliver fun, exciting fights, good tests for young up-and-comers and emerging fighters and new names, I don't know why we're continuing to roll out fights like this, fighters like this. And I don't say that from a, like, I want people cut, but there's just, we see the influx of young talent coming into the UFC, a new talent coming into the UFC, right? Contender Series last night, five more contracts, 15 in the last three weeks. And as much as I disagree with just giving out all of these contracts as, as freely as they have been given out, it's happened. It is happening. And so we have to adjust for it. And to me, that means... When somebody goes 0-2 and, and doesn't really show you a lot, it's okay to say, hey, it's been great. We'll see you later. Keep in touch. Rather than, let's just make sure that the third one isn't where they suddenly morph into somebody that's going to have a long future in this division. I think we end up getting a reasonably entertaining fight here. De Chirico, at times can be an action fighter, can be an entertaining fighter, Right. Knocked out, knocked out Joaquin Buckley at the start of last year with a head kick, then got head kicked by Abdul Razak Hassan. After that, so I mean, he's he's been in memorable fights, but I just don't think there's a need with the growth of this promotion, with the overall growth of the sport, for that matter, to continue rolling out these fighters that haven't had success and don't really show signs of turning that around inside the octagon. We move to a lightweight bout, John McDessie against Nasrat Hakparast. My question here is, am I being too critical of Nasrat Hakparast? I'm a guy that always says, well, they're just 27, 28, 26, whatever it may be. And yet I feel like here I am out on the 27-year-old Hakparast. Now, maybe it's because there was a lot of hype and he's yet to really kind of deliver on that every time he's been in there with an established name, with somebody in the middle of, in the division or above, he's come out on the wrong end of things. He enters on a two fight losing streak. I do not, you know, losing to Bobby Green and Dan Hooker is nothing to hang your head about. The loss to Drew Dober earlier in his career, nothing to hang your head about, but it just feels to me like he is someone thus far that has been all hat and no cattle. We've heard all the talk about, oh, look at all the wonderful things he can do. And this guy's got a bright future. And there have been flashes against fighters that he should beat, fighters that are a little bit behind him in the rankings or in their development or things like that. The Joaquin Silva fight really jumps out, right? Second round finish, beautiful striking in that fight from Hack Barast. But then he goes forward and he just can't clear that hurdle. Now, maybe it's because he's just not ready to. We've seen that with fighters before, right? But this is this is a middle of the division hurdle, or maybe maybe slightly higher than that, right? Dan Hooker slightly higher than that. Bobby Green slightly higher than that. So he can't clear the break into the top 15 hurdle. And that's that's not normally a place where I exit, where I say, okay, I'm done on somebody because they can't break into the top 15 because it's a difficult thing to do, especially at lightweight. But the trouble for me or the thing I want to see on Saturday and what I look for on Saturday to sort of answer this question is, can we actually get another one of those Joaquin Silva performances? Can we get another fight where Hakparash shows us some of the things that had us all believing in his upside three, four, five, six years ago? Because thus far, all those fights that he's won, the last few fights that he's won, they've been one-sided decisions outside of the the Silva fight against guys that are kind of languishing in the UFC. And so if you're going to get another run and, and put on another run to get to that fight that you haven't been able to win yet, this fight on Saturday against John McDessie, a 38 year old fighter who's going to be, who's always been a little undersized for the division. Who's always been happy to kind of just hang out at range and, and, be there for a fight, is the kind of fight where you need to make a statement. And if Nasrat Hakpras doesn't make a statement, I think I'm going to be out. And I think my my criticism and my position on him is going to be sort of solidified. And if he goes out and looks great, we'll revisit it. But this feels like a big one for Hakpras. And I want to see if if I'm being too critical or if my assessment is correct. Next fight on the main card, William Gomi against Yano Ahrens. My question is, how will Gomi handle this showcase opportunity? He is a fighter that trains in Paris, the trains at the MMA factory, under Fernand Lopez, alongside Cyril Gunn and Nasruddin Imovov, who we'll talk about in a little bit. It is a relatively short-notice fight added to this card against a fighter who has earned one consecutive victory coming off a win essentially has fought a bunch of guys that are regional professional fighters if that makes sense if you understand what i'm saying um this feels very much like a hey let's let the the guy from paris come out here and have a good show and so far william gomez has looked very good he's fought in, in good promotions on the regional circuit he's fought in cage warriors for example, he's he's a finisher. He looks really good on paper, on film, before getting to this level. He looks really good. But now he's fighting at home, and he's fighting on the main card of a UFC show in a fight that he's expected to win. He's, he's the betting favorite. He's expected to finish at that. And I just want to see how he handles it, because this is this is the step up, right? This is the moment where you find out a thing or two about all of these fighters. We've heard countless times how athletes are great until they make the walk. And then the noise of the crowd, the size of the crowd, Bruce Buffer standing there and introducing them, saying their name, kind of gets under their skin, kind of just psychs them out a little bit and rattles them a little bit. And it doesn't always result in a loss. It doesn't always result in, you know, not performing the way that they expect to, but it can have an impact. And so I just want to see, if William Gomi can sort of rise to this occasion and continue being the, the quality fighter that we've seen thus far. Main card opener is an absolute banger in the featherweight division, Charles Jordan against Nathaniel Wood. The question here is, can Jordan harness his powers? And here's what I mean. He's clearly ultra-talented. But he hasn't quite figured out yet how to play to his strengths. You look at the Shane Burgos fight, It's sort of a bit of an outlier because Shane Burgos is huge for the division and understands how to use his length, how to use his size, how to use his physicality, and did so well for the first two rounds. This time around, Charles Rodin is going to be the bigger fighter. He's got a three-inch height advantage on Nathaniel Wood, who is moving up from bantamweight. It's his second fight at featherweight after spending the bulk of his career at bantamweight. He has a good reach, but he is physically he's just going to be smaller both in terms of of size and overall stature overall sort of body composition and so this is the chance for jordan to go out there and sort of impose his will on somebody and turn this into you're fighting on my terms and i'm going to dictate everything that happens in this cage I'm going to decide whether we brawl or whether we're technical. I'm going to decide how much we grapple or not. I'm going to decide whether we fight on the cage or in the center. All of these things are things that you learn and you need to learn. And you need to understand how to deploy as you work your way up the rankings, as you grow into who you are as a fighter. Because the talent is there. The upside is clearly there. You don't have some of the performances he's had like Du Ho Choi in South Korea, like the win over Lando Venata earlier this year, like even the third round against Shane Burgos, where he nearly gets Shane Burgos out of there and looks great and reminds everybody, oh yeah, this 26-year-old French Canadian is really talented. But this is where it needs to start progressing to something. Because being really talented and really entertaining, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm all the way in on Charles Rodin, no matter what happens, from here on out and not just because he's a Canadian and I've had a bunch of nice conversations with him and I like him as a person and as a fighter. I think he's super talented. I think he's got a long future in the UFC, regardless of where it goes. But if he wants to get into the top 15, he wants to get moving forward in this division towards the title. This is one of those fights where the little bits, the little pieces have to start coming together need to start coming together in order to get to a point where you really start building on that and learning how to kind of be in charge in the octagon, right? We talk in boxing about ring generalship and the way fighters are able to just dictate where everything happens and how the fight plays out and control every element of it with their movement, with their strikes, with their offerings, all of those things. That's the piece right now, to me, that Charles Rodin is missing. And as soon as he starts adding that, as soon as he starts learning that and and building that into what he does, he's going to be even more dangerous. He's going to be even more entertaining, and he's going to keep moving forward. I'm going to take a little pause here, get some water. We'll hit the prelims. All right, we're back. we move to the prelims. Middleweight fight, Avis Magomedov versus Dustin Stoltzfus. My question here, and it's a little bit joking. Who will win the German middleweight title? Both of these fighters reside in Germany. Dustin Stoltzfus, who I spoke to before this fight for a story that is up on UFC.com, very familiar with Abbas Magomedov. Don't know why I'm stumbling over Magomedov today. He has been sort of the best, the best welterweight, best middleweight in Germany for quite some time. He was a PFL finalist in 2018, lost to Lewis Taylor. Stoltzfus is coming off his first UFC win, finally getting the monkey off his back with a win over Dwight Grant a few weeks ago in San Diego. And this is sort of one of those fights that it's 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 actually quite interesting to me. Um Magomedov is someone that I think is is skilled, is certainly talented, certainly has all the tools to be successful in the UFC. I'm very curious about sort of his lack of his lack of activity over the last couple of years is of his first fight since the end of 2020 and only his third fight since the end of 2018. Whereas Dustin Stoltzfus is coming off a fight, as I said, just a few weeks ago, and it's his fifth fight in the UFC since winning a contract on season four of the Contender Series. So he is the more active, more, more engaged, fresher guy in terms of you know, familiarity with, with what's happening on Saturday night. And so I'm really curious to see how both the layoff affects Abbas and how the success in San Diego and the victory over, over Dwight Grant impacts Dustin Stoltz, who is somebody that I've always thought has some upside. And when I talked to him for this piece, he, he was pretty open about dealing with pressure and having that pressure turn into sort of a lack of focus and a little bit of getting stuck in his head in some of these fights. You look at the guys he's lost to there. There's no slouches in there. It's Kyle Dacus, Rodolfo Vieira and Gerald Mearshart. He had success at, in each of those fights at points. And so for him to finally get that victory and clear that hurdle, does that unlock something where we see the, the best version of him and an improved continually improving version of him going forward. The other interesting part of this is he is he is based in Germany, has lived in Germany for a number of years now. This is the first time that he gets to have all of his coaches, all of the people that he works with on a regular basis in his corner. Previously, he's been fighting over in the United States a bunch of times in Las Vegas, last time in – in actually, it was Long Island. I said San Diego earlier, which is trains in San Diego, it was Long Island. It was part of the Long Island. And he's sort of had ramshackle corners, right? He's brought one coach, but then it's a training partner. And he's coming over for several months at a time in advance of those fights to acclimate, to get settled in, to adjust all of those things. And so you don't have familiar voices that know the ins and outs of your game in your corner. He gets that this time around as Paris isn't all that far in terms of a train ride, in terms of a trip. To get there, and so this isn't a really interesting fight to me to close out the prelims, and we'll see who who leaves Paris with the bragging rights as far as it goes for German middleweights. Next up, a lightweight fight: Ferez Ziyam versus Michael Fieglak. A question here, and it's one that we talked about on the preview show that you'll see on Thursday. Can the UFC be patient and allow Fieglak room to grow? He is a great prospect. He's 26 years old. He's 8-0. He's fought exclusively under the Cage Warriors banner for the last several fights. He's coming off a very good win over cage, former Cage Warriors champ, Eggy Sardari. But he's still a little bit unpolished. He still needs a little bit of time to sort of just figure it all out and put it all together. It's a little bit – it's an advanced version of what Chase Hooper is right now where you can see the raw materials and you can see the sort of outline of this is going to be a good fighter when they figure out A, B, and C. And the A, B, and C aren't huge things like, oh, he doesn't know how to strike. It's just hasn't yet figured out how to settle into positions or how to really use his physicality and things like that. And the reason the reason I ask the or want to see the can the UFC allow him to progress slowly is because it's lightweight. We don't necessarily need to hustle unbeaten 26-year-olds up into the thick of things, but the UFC hasn't always been great about allowing young, developing fighters that time to develop. Now, to their credit, it's been much better recently, right? For all the shit we give Sean O'Malley, Sean O'Malley didn't get hustled into, like, this is a two-way street. Sean absolutely controlled that. But the UFC wasn't sitting there busting balls saying no you've got to go they recognized. let's let this kid progress the way he wants to progress we'll build his name we'll build his brand he'll build his name he'll build his brand and away we go we're seeing a similar thing with Ian Gary right now who came over from cage warriors and said look my nickname is the future I'm going to fight for the welterweight title at some point down the road but it is not tomorrow I want to be in here and gain as much experience as I can so that when it does come time for me to fight the best fighters in the world, I am ready. And I just want to see, and I just hope for for Fieglak and for the UFC in that regard as well, that they give him the time to become the best version of himself. Because I do think there is a very good fighter here. The raw materials are really good. This is a good fight. I think this will be a good measuring stick for him for am is is two and two in the ufc he knows how to use his length he too is fighting at home so we'll see if the partisan crowd bolsters him but i just want to like as much as i was talking earlier about can we be done with warm bodies i also don't want to see fighters get hustled up the ranks and burnt out when they don't need to right we don't need to see young fighters thrown into the deep end catch a couple losses that just break them mentally and they never get to where they need to be, especially in weight classes, where there is a wealth of talent like there is at at Lightweight. Middleweight fight, Nasruddin Imavov versus Joaquin Buckley. My question is, will a win finally earn Imavov a step forward? He is my fighter to watch this week. If you pay attention to the newsletter, I still do some writing, on the newsletter it's not strictly audio video i put out fighter to watch on on monday sorry on tuesday it is imavov who is coming in on two good wins two good stoppages in the second round one over ian heinish the other over edmund shabazian this fight sort of annoys me because it feels like a step back after beating heinish and and shabazian that's that's not necessarily a a slap in the face to Joaquin Buckley, or, or a real criticism of Joaquin Buckley, who has done his thing and comes in on a three fight winning streak. But Igmav was scheduled to fight Kelvin Gastelum earlier this year before he ran into visa issues, and that fight had to be scuttled. Kelvin eventually went on and, and injured his knee. But it just feels like that at this point of his career, at three and one, at 26 years old, fighting at home in Paris, he too trains at the MMA factory, as I mentioned earlier. It feels like an opportunity. It feels like a fight where he should have had someone a little bit more substance and maybe been on the main card. Now, Harry made the case in the preview show. Again, I keep alluding to it. Check it out on the Severe MMA YouTube page on Thursday when it goes live. I, of course, will tweet it out, as will the boys, that maybe this is setting up Imovov, if he wins, should he be victorious on Saturday, to be on the same timeline as Marvin Vittori and Robert Whitaker, the winner of that fight. That I can get behind. If that's where we're going, if that's the plan, Sean Shelby, Mick Maynard, just give me a little one of these on Saturday and I'll be cool. I'll stop being grumpy, frustrated. I think I know better than the matchmaker Spencer. I just think this is a fighter with a world of upside and I don't want to see him have to go through that gauntlet that I talked about on Monday and I talk about regularly here. I don't want to see him have to have to win five fights before he's fighting a top 10 opponent. I don't want to see him have to win seven fights before he's in a title eliminator or a number 1 contender fight or even fighting for the belt for that matter. The talent is there, the skill is there, he's showing it. He's shown he's ready for a step up in competition and I would like to see, I hope he gets a step up in competition if he is successful on Saturday. Move to the lightweight division, Benoit Saint-Denis against Gabriel Miranda. My question here is, can Benoit Saint-Denis become an anytime-he-fights guy for me? He's very close. Going into this, even after two fights, he's very close. You remember he got his ass handed to him in his short-notice debut up a division against Elise the referee in that fight, a, a Russian gentleman in Abu Dhabi, let him take a hellacious beating, was then pilloried on Twitter, never set foot in the UFC octagon again. But Benoit Saint-Denis made it through that fight. Like he caught a, he caught an absolute ass whipping. He was, the fight should have been stopped. No No arguments for me. Should have been stopped. I think if you go back and find my tweets, I was screaming about stop this fight you could stop this anytime now. He still wrote it out. he still went 15 minutes and then he goes back down to lightweight for his sophomore appearance and he goes out and he absolutely dominates Nicholas Stolza. he looks terrific. he's an aggressive finisher. he's only 26. This is a guy man this is the this is one of those lower on the fight card. I don't have championship expectations or even top 15 expectations for him, but God damn, this is somebody that he can be an exciting piece of every fight card he's on. And as much as I understand the desire and the want to focus on the biggest names and just the contenders or just the elite contenders, we need guys like St. We all need, and we all have them. I think fighters that, aren't contenders that aren't in the mix that we just, you know, are, are the guys that I would label the fighters. I can't quit on 10 things, which I will be back here tomorrow with 10 things. And so if he goes out and has a great performance against Miranda, and I think he will, I think this is very much a winnable fight, a fight where he can show out and have another dominant performance. He is going to become someone that shows up in future editions of 10 things. As Benoit Saint Denis is fighting, because you give me an always entertaining fighter, somebody that is aggressive, somebody that pushes for finishes that I want to see fight, that gives me that visceral reaction as the sun moves behind the clouds and I suddenly get dark here. I'm in and I, and I want more people. I hope hearing this, seeing this, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, gets more people excited because Benoit Saint is an entertaining, an exciting fighter. And I want people to pay attention to him. Move down to the Bantamweight division. Khalid Taha returns against Christian Quinones. My question is, what kind of contender series grad is Christian Quinones? So it's been mixed results so far this year for the class of 2021 coming off of the contender series. For every Jack Della Madalena and Chidi and Jokowani that have looked very good, we've had a Slava Barshov who has been uneven looked great in his first fight not so great in his second fight or joe anderson britu didn't look great in his first fight looked very good in his second fight and we've had a couple of people that have just stumbled flat out you know what i mean haven't 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 panned out look like they're look like this is going to be a maybe three and out or you know go go one and three and away we go and I don't know where Kinona's fits in that yet. Part of the reason when I was putting together my year in advance Fighters to Watch piece, that I left out all of the contender series grads from last year is, is exactly this reason. I just that fight and even everything that came before it for them to to varying degrees, right? Everybody has different amounts of experience, didn't feel like enough to make a real strong assessment on any of these athletes. I had some inklings. I had some leanings. I had some people that I was in on like Della Maddalena, like Michael Morales, had some people that I thought I just don't see it. And I wanted to give them time to get some UFC fights under their belt for us to get a couple of exposures to them against fighters at this level to be able to make better reads. And this is Quinones' debut. And so I'm looking forward to it. He's 26 years old, 16 and three, four fight winning streak. Trains with the interim gym crew, which used to be Brandon Moreno, but it's still like a Morales, uh, Yasmin Haragui, who we saw a couple of weeks ago, looked very good. Very good crew of fighters. But even they have had mixed results since coming up to the UFC. And so let's just see. Khalid Taha has got one win in five fights in the UFC. So this feels like a, a winnable fight. A solid matchup where we should see a little bit of of what Christian Quinonez brings to the octagon and and get a good initial read of where he fits in this division going forward. Which brings us to the opener, Stephanie Egger, Eileen Perez. The question is, can Perez come anywhere close to backing up her big talk? So if you haven't looked at Eileen Perez's perez's instagram to sort of figure out who she is and i understand if you haven't because these are the things that i have to do as i write the fight by fight preview and and things like that i will tell you that she was talking all kinds of mess after getting signed and all kinds of mess at juliana pena in advance of ufc 2778 telling then bantamweight champion miss pena don't be talking about people up here at featherweight and saying there's nobody up here i run this division don't you go getting beat by, by smaller girls. Previous to that, when she got signed, she said, featherweight's mine now. First Zara Farn, who she was supposed to fight this weekend in September. Then Amanda Nunes in December. Like legit put that out there into the world before even setting foot into the octagon for the first time. So while I appreciate the bravado, while I'm all for, hey, I'm going to talk my talk. Now it's time to walk the walk. Now it's, time to, now it's time to see what you can do because Stephanie Egger is a is a good but not great fighter. She is jumping into this fight on short notice after having that weird fight with Mayra, Mayra Buena Silva earlier this year, earlier a couple of weeks ago, where she tapped and then didn't really let on that she tapped and kind of did the like, you guys check the replay. And, and if you say I tapped, then fine, but I'm not going to cop to it just feels like this is, you know, really hanging out in the keeping it real goes wrong. Why'd you do that kind of of range of things here for Eileen Perez before her debut? But at the same time, the talk worked. Putting that stuff out there worked because suckers like me are super interested in your UFC debut. The first fight of the day in Paris on Saturday. 9 a.m. or shortly thereafter, so I will have a hot cup of coffee, maybe some bacon and eggs, and sit down and watch these fights. I hope this piece, as always, has spurred some interest in some fights that maybe you weren't thinking about, has brought some thoughts into your head about athletes that maybe you weren't thinking of ahead of this. I hope you're excited for, for Saturday, for the return of live action. I certainly am. Glad you were here with me today. I appreciate you all checking this stuff out. As I say all the time, your comments, your likes, your subscriptions, all of those things mean the world to me. I'm here to put out content that you want in ways that you want to consume it. So keep letting me know what you like, what you want to see more of, what I can do better. And, you know, we'll we'll continue getting through this. We'll continue moving forward with this UFC adventure this year and beyond. I hope you have a terrific remainder of the week. I hope you are surrounded by loved ones and you know that that you matter. You're valued. We care about you. I love you to pieces. I hope you have a great rest of the week, as I just said. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. We'll talk to you soon.